Um, take out your Bible. If you brought one, if you didn't bring one, find one on your phone. Turn to uh, Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read from verses 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way, on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. And so he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were traveling along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that your word, your voice, your spirit would speak to our hearts that what we remember is what you reveal to us today, and may that truth penetrate our hearts, may it give us joy and hope, and give us peace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to tell you a story um, that I don't quite remember. Um, Apparently, when I was five years old or so, so I don't remember it. Apparently, uh, my aunt, let me tell you about my aunt, my aunt Pam, she um, has been a missionary serving American Indians for 30, 40 some years. She used to be a school teacher. And apparently when I was five, she told me, um, Greg, um, I'm no longer going to be a school teacher. Really? I don't know if I said that or not. I don't remember it. Um, yes, I'm not going to be a school teacher anymore. I am going to be a missionary. And what I don't remember, but what my Aunt Pam tells me happened, is I said, Aunt Pam, 
That means you're going to be a bum? I have no recollection of that whatsoever. But apparently it happened. And if it, did, if it happened like that, I have no idea what I, was, what I was thinking, right? But I thought of that story when um, I was reflecting on this scripture today because the scripture is about, it's about evangelism, right? It's about evangelism. And, and sometimes Christians, uh, for Christians and for non-Christians, um, we can think of evangelism almost as like a four-letter word or something. Um, uh, and when we think of an evangelist, who knows, maybe our first thought is kind of like whenever my aunt said, I'm going to be a missionary, are you going to be a bum? Sometimes we don't have a positive um, image when we think of an evangelist, but this scripture is all about evangelism. Um, what comes to your mind when you think of an evangelist or an evangelism? What are, what are some of the first things that come to mind? Maybe it's an awkward conversation that you had, or maybe someone was witnessing to you a long time ago or recently, and it was maybe an awkward conversation. Um, maybe you had an experience of someone... Hmm, trying to impose beliefs um, or tell you why your beliefs are all messed up and wrong. You know, there's a reason why people um, often treat evangelists with some suspicion today, and it's because of bad experiences they've had in the past. But one of the things I like about this Acts chapter 8 text is it seeks, I think it speaks very beautifully about evangelism. And I want to look at it. I want to pick out three things I think this scripture says um, about evangelism. They're very important, and, and I think they're beautiful. I think they're, they're, they're wonderful. And I'm, I'm hoping that after we look through this scripture today, um, that you will feel um, even compelled, even compelled to... Um, to share your faith with someone, even compelled to be an evangelist. Even that. So that's my hope after we look at this scripture. Um, and here I want to talk about three things, beautiful things about evangelism this um, scripture says. The first one is this. If you want to fill in these points, you're certainly welcome to in the little fill-in sheet in the bulletin. Uh, the gospel is Jesus. That's the, that's the first point, this passage says. The gospel is Jesus. Uh, The eunuch is reading Isaiah chapter 53, which is perhaps the clearest reference to Jesus in the Old Testament scripture. Uh, But it's certainly not the only Old Testament uh, reference to Jesus. In fact, all of the Old Testament scriptures point to Jesus. There's a story um, that you may recall after Jesus was resurrected and he's walking along the road with two disciples, and the disciples don't recognize Jesus. Um, Eventually, they do recognize Jesus. But along the road, Jesus is teaching about himself. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, says this, And beginning with Moses, and when Luke writes that, what he means is the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis 
through Deuteronomy, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, referring to the, the, the Hebrew scriptures, sacred scriptures, he, Jesus explained to them, the disciples, uh, what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. So in Genesis, when it talks about the offspring of the woman that will crush the head of the serpent, or the ram that, that Abraham discovers stuck in the thicket that he's able to sacrifice instead of his son Isaac, it's talking about Jesus, or, or, or the, the story of, of Joseph um, who is sold off to slavery, winds up in Egypt, then his brothers have to come to Egypt because there's this famine all over the land, and Joseph is engaging with his brothers and kind of sets him up for a trap with a purpose for this trap. But what ha- happens is Benjamin, the youngest son, is going to have to stay behind being Joseph's slave, but Judah, his older brother, says, no, I will take his place. As your slave. That points to Jesus taking our place. You look throughout the Old Testament scriptures and they point to Jesus. The Passover lamb in Exodus points to Jesus. The journey of the Israelites' slavery, slavery um, out of slavery in Egypt onto the promised land points to Jesus who rescues us from slavery and brings us to our promised land. Look, the, the story of the rock that shoots out life-giving water after, after Moses hits the rock is pointing to Jesus. Uh, the, the story of the snake on the pole, the Israelites uh, get bit by poisonous snakes, and all they have to do is look at this snake lifted up on a pole, points to Jesus, lifted up on the cross. We look to Jesus, we can be healed. They all point to Jesus. Let's conclude with Jesus being the fulfillment of the Old Testament temple or the tabernacle where dwelled the presence of God with his people. And Jesus came so that we could dwell with the presence of God. And here in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant that suffers death on behalf of his people, it all points to Jesus. And Jesus is the point of evangelism. The gospel is Jesus. Um. I think one of the reasons why Christians can be intimidated about evangelism is thinking through well, what if you know what if things go wrong what if what if someone um, starts asking me all these questions that I don't know how to answer you know how am I going to explain how God and suffering can can coexist how am I going to answer that God created the world in six days Six million years? Well, I, I don't what I, I don't know how to address all these questions. Listen, the answer of evangelism is Jesus. And just sharing Jesus with someone. That's that's the essence of evangelism. This is what this is what Philip did in this encounter. He just shared the person of Jesus. So you don't have to think, how am I gonna answer all their crazy questions that I don't know the answer to? Just share with them Jesus. You don't have to think, oh boy, if I'm sharing my faith, am I going to come across as judgmental um, to that person? You know, as long as you don't say, oh, I can't believe that you believe that and all your beliefs are pretty wacko, you know, that's not going to happen. You're not going to come across as judgmental. Um, 
when what you're doing in evangelism is just sharing with a person Jesus, talking about Jesus. That's the essence of evangelism. So one, the gospel is Jesus. Two, from this story, we see this. Um, Jesus meets you where you are. And this beautiful, this beautiful truth that can come out in, evangel- in, in sharing our faith with others, just this truth that God, Jesus, wants to meet you where you are. The Ethiopian man had a story. Eunuchs um, underwent castration in order to serve the court, the, the royal court, in some capacity. Some people became eunuchs by choice, others not by choice. Why would someone um, become a eunuch by choice? It's interesting. Well, the reason, or at least one of the main reasons, is because eunuchs served in the royal court, they often held very high positions and became very wealthy. And for some, um, some people, this was a choice. And what it did is it opened a door to a very um, prestigious position, influential position, and often um, quite a lot of wealth. And in Acts chapter 8, we can tell that this Ethiopian is very wealthy and um, is in a position of very high status because he is steward over the queen's treasury. I mean, this, he's, he is one of the top dogs in um, Ethiopian society. Two, his wealth is indicated by the fact that he owned a chariot. Very, very, very few people own chariots in these days. He would have had to be very wealthy to um, afford this chariot. Also, we see his status and his wealth because he has a scroll of Isaiah with him, and scrolls very hard to, uh, uh, scrolls containing the scriptures were very hard to come by um, in those days. And he has the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So here is a man um, who has great wealth, um, a very high position in society. And yet he traveled all the way to Jerusalem so that he could worship God. So something is going on in his life. And one reason we can tell that is the distance between Ethiopia and Jerusalem. Um, It's true that ancient Ethiopia may have been slightly closer to Jerusalem than current-day Ethiopia is. If you look at Ethiopia in a map today, it is very far from Jerusalem Um, But conservative estimates, even if ancient Ethiopia was a little further north than it is today, conservative estimates still is that he had to travel a thousand miles to get to Jerusalem to worship God. What is is driving this man who's very wealthy, who has such a high position in society, to travel a thousand miles to go worship God? Well, apparently there's, there is this longing, right? There is this, this emptiness and all of his wealth and all of his power, his privilege. They, they don't fill this emptiness in his life. So he's looking for something. He's looking for God. 
has this emptiness in him. He makes this at least a thousand-mile journey to go worship God in the temple. But do you know that eunuchs were forbidden to go into the temple for worship? Jewish law forbade eunuchs from entering the temple to worship God. How would you feel after traveling a thousand miles only to be rejected and turned away at the end? I mean, we're not, we're not talking like Chevy Chase and vacation traveling across the country to go to the theme park and getting turned away. We're, we're talking about having this deep longing in you, this unmet longing, and being told at the end, you, you're, you're not good enough. You're, there's something deficient in you that keeps you from worshiping God in the temple. That's his story. Everyone has a story. And Jesus wants to meet you where you are in your story. Evangelism helps people realize God wants to meet you where you are. Your story includes, just like this Ethiopian eunuch, disappointment, discouragement, somewhere in your story, distress, defeat maybe, despair even, disillusionment. But you know, this morning God wants to meet you where you are wherever you are in your story, that includes those things. So this morning, one question is, what are you thinking? Because God wants to meet you there. Now, let me tell you one of the, I think, one of the opportunities we have with evangelism is help people think through that question, what are you thinking, but in a positive way. Um, Because a lot of people think that God asked that question, what are you thinking, except in an accusatory way of them. People think that God is quick to judge and punish. So that question, what are you thinking this morning? Um, I think a lot of people think that God asks it in in a variety of other ways, like, um, what are you thinking? Or what are you thinking? People think that God is demanding that question of them. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? That's how people often hear that question from God in this accusatory, quick-to-judge manner. And we have an opportunity to reveal to them that God wants to meet them where they are and simply ask, what are you? What are you thinking? What discouragement are you experiencing? What difficulty are you facing? What are you thinking? Where, where do you feel defeated? Where are you disappointed? God's first act is not to condemn you, but to meet you where you are. Are you anxious? Are you fed up with something? Maybe you've got some bad news and you've been getting this bad news for quite some time. That bad news hasn't, hasn't changed. Nothing seems like it's turning around and you're waiting for a turnaround. God wants to know, what are, what are you thinking this morning? 
So God is determined to meet you where you are. One unmistakable thing from this story is that nothing, nothing, nothing from this story is by chance, right? Um, think about Philip. One, one of the neat things we find out about Philip later on in the book of Acts is he has a family. And imagine Philip, after this encounter with the Ethiopian, going home and telling his wife about his day. There was one way that Philip definitely could not have shared this story with his wife. And that way would be something like this. Imagine Philip going home. Um, He could not have said this to his wife. Um, Honey, you'll never believe what happened today. I was up near Samaria, and um, I decided to look for someone to witness to. And so I decided to go all the way south on this road towards Gaza. And then I saw this guy in the chariot, and I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to go up to that guy, and I'm going I'm to see if he needs any help. And I did that. I went up to him, and I shared with him the gospel. That is not how Philip would be able to tell that story to his wife, right? What would he say to his wife? You'll never guess what happened today. The Holy Spirit. An angel. An angel told me, go down that road. Okay, I'll go down that road. The Holy Spirit said, go up to that chariot. Okay, I'll go up to the chariot. (laughs) The man asked me, can you help me? Okay, let me see if I can help. Uh, Nothing is by chance in the story, is it? It's God directing this because God is determined to meet this Ethiopian man where he is. And he's just using Philip to show that Ethiopian that very thing. So this was not Philip in charge. This was Jesus in charge. One of the beautiful things that we can show in evangelism to someone is that God is determined to meet them where they are. And God may be using you to to do that with someone. The third beautiful thing that the story shows us about evangelism is this about the gospel. The gospel is how Jesus reverses the trauma in your story. And Philip is able to show this to the Ethiopian. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus removes the trauma from your story. He doesn't do that. He doesn't remove uh, the trauma. He doesn't act like the trauma in your story never happened. You know, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't go up to the person who just lost a spouse and say, hey, turn that frown upside down. You know, every day with me is sweeter than the last. Jesus does not act like that. He doesn't try to sweep over your trauma. When Jesus went to Mary and Martha, when their brother Lazarus died, uh, he didn't go up and pretend that it never happened. He, he confronted their doubt. He encouraged their faith. He wept with them, but he didn't, he didn't, he never said to them, ah, what are you, what are you sad about? Because Jesus wants to address and then reverse your trauma. So sometimes we might wish that God would just, you know, remove the trauma, give us selective amnesia so we wouldn't remember the trauma. <laughs> uh, maybe you had a situation that, a horrible situation or an embarrassing situation. All you want to do is just forget about it. Jesus doesn't want to help us to forget about the trauma. He wants to reverse 
the trauma in our life. Um, two scriptures that I want to share with you about this, um, about God using trauma in our life to bring about gain and reverse that trauma. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And so we have troubles. We have sufferings. We have this trauma now. But there's going to be a reversal when Jesus gives his glory, shares his glory with us. Christ receives the glory from God when he died on the cross and was resurrected And then Christ says, and I will share my glory. I will give that glory to you. There's this reversal of our trauma. Jesus died in your place. Does that mean that you will never die? No, we we will undergo that physical death, but then Jesus reverses that and he gives your life right back to you. That's the reversal. So I want you to... Think about your story, the trauma, the difficulty, the discouragement that you've faced in your story. Oh, you know what I forgot to do? I forgot to release our, our, our junior hires. They're right here. They're like, Pastor Greg, don't forget about us. I'm going to release them now. They can talk about their story, how God meets them in their story, how they can be witnesses. I'm sorry about that. They didn't say a word. They were so in tune with sermon. Um, I want you to think about your story, the difficulty that you faced. Um, And then I want you to to think through several things. We'll we'll go through these last few bullet points. Um, But before we get there, I want to share with you a little bit how I have thought about my story and how God has met me where I am in my story. I've shared this with you before, um, just in a small way, how um, one of the discouragements that I face is just feeling excluded at times. Just this lower to mid-level exclusion in life, you know, not quite fitting in, not quite a part of the group, not, not quite included the way that I'd want to be included. You kind of feel excluded with that and the discouragement that can come with that. And then realizing that there is a reversal of this, that, that, Jesus, that Jesus was excluded, right? I mean, throughout his life, he had people who were rejecting him and Jewish religious leaders that certainly did not, and, and Jesus was a religious authority, and, and they didn't accept him at all. They excluded him. There is this exclusion that Jesus experience, just just like I felt, but there's this reversal. And so one day when I was just reflecting on this, um, was reading from Ephesians chapter 1, and you know, sometimes God just kind of speaks to you when you're reading his word, and he, he says, this is for you today. And this is what I read from, from God and just heard his voice saying, this is for you today, Greg. Um, in him, in Christ, we were chosen. This is, I don't have it on the screen, but uh, I'll just read it to you. Chapter 1, 
um, verse 11, in Christ, we were also chosen. We were chosen. I'm thinking, wow, God chooses me. Um, in order that we, skipping ahead a little bit, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And then this is what popped out of me. And you also were included in Christ. And God just shared that to me when I'm, I'm dealing with this just experience in my life of feeling excluded and then this revelation that, no, 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 no. You know, yeah, you may be excluded from, from people, but you know who includes you? God. God chooses you and includes you in his family. I want you to think about your story and how God reverses the difficulty, the, the, the struggle that you're going through. So here's three um, things that I want you to do along the way. One, identify your trauma, difficulty, or disappointment of your story. Where have you felt discouraged? Take, I don't know, 10 minutes, sometime today, sometime this week, 15 minutes. If you'd like, reflect on your life. Think through difficulties and discouragements that you faced. Maybe you felt excluded. Maybe you've had a long, drawn-out illness, and you've had to, to fight through that illness. Maybe um, you've had a financial struggle or relationship struggles with your family, or maybe you struggled with loneliness or mental illness. Just lay out the struggles that you've, that you've faced and the discouragement that you've experienced. The second thing to do is consider how Jesus knows your suffering. You see, one of the remarkable things about this story in Acts chapter 8 is how the eunuch would have realized this Messiah that Philip is now telling me about is Jesus. He knows exactly what I'm going through. So verse 33, Acts chapter 8, verse 33, this is what uh, Acts reports the, the eunuch reading. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice And who can speak of his descendants? Who can speak of his descendants? The Ethiopian was humiliated himself, right? A thousand-mile journey to get to Jerusalem. No, you can't worship in the temple. Turn away at the temple for the very same reason why he himself will never have descendants. But he realized the Messiah knows exactly what I'm going through. Who can speak of his descendants? Jesus never had descendants. Jesus was humiliated, just like I'm feeling humiliated. Look for how Jesus knows you're suffering. I look at Isaiah 53, the the scroll that that the eunuch was reading from, and he wouldn't have just been reading that one little verse uh, that we just read from Acts chapter 8. He would have been at least reading all of you know, the, the, that section around it in that scroll. I look at Isaiah 53, and I find no fewer than seven ways that Jesus, referred to in Isaiah 53, um, has suffered in a way like we do. So just putting these on the screen. Verse 2, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire. So maybe, maybe one of the things that you suffer with is I... I just don't know. I like the way that I look. I wish God had given me a different body, a different look, a different face, different hair, whatever. You know, this 
this says something that Jesus knows a little bit about what you're going through. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Next verse, uh, verse 3, he was despised and rejected. Have you ever felt (laughs) rejected from others? Jesus knows what you're going through. Verse 4, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. He took up our pain. Have you ever been in physical pain? Just the trauma of physical pain and suffering. And Jesus, Jesus knows that. By his wounds, we are healed. Verse 5. You ever been wounded physically, emotionally? Jesus was wounded for you. He was oppressed. Have you ever suffered from oppression? Jesus was oppressed. He was cut off, verse 8 says. For all of you who hate driving on Houston freeways because you get cut off, Jesus knows your pain. No, no, no. Have you, have you felt cut off from a community, from your family, from a friend group, cut off from a dream? Jesus knows about that. Verse 9, he was assigned a grave with a wicked, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Have you ever felt like you suffered injustice, like wrong was done to you, wasn't your fault? didn't have it coming, you were just a victim of injustice. Well, Jesus was sent to the grave, though there was no violence in his life and no deceit in his mouth. If your body has ever been torn apart, you can know that his body was torn apart. If you felt abandoned by your friends, know that Christ died all alone on the cross. All of his disciples ran away from him when he was arrested. Have you ever been told that you aren't good enough? It's either make the team or to get the job or to be accepted by a group. Jesus was told time and time again by the Jewish religious leaders, you're not good enough, you're a crazy man. Jesus was rejected. Maybe you felt afraid. Well, I know you felt afraid in life. Did Jesus ever feel afraid? Listen, I thought about that a lot last couple weeks. Did Jesus feel afraid? And, you know, uh, I want to point you to a verse. And I don't want to make too much about this verse. Um, Because it's, you know, you're getting in the mind of Christ, and it's a dangerous thing to try to get in the mind of Christ. But what I remembered is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I think it's the Gospel of Luke that tells it this way, and he sweated drops of blood in the garden. And my friends, you don't sweat drops of blood when you're feeling that everything's going hunky-dory in your life, right? Right? Jesus even knows, can I, can I suggest that Jesus even knows something about being pressed down by either being afraid or being just mm, pressed down by life. Jesus knows about that. And the third thing to do is to realize that there is a reversal to realize it, to dwell on that, to think about it really, that there's a reversal that's going to happen with all of your distress and disillusionment and discouragement and, 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 and doubt. There's going to be a reversal of that. Notice in Acts 8, verse 39, Philip 
baptizes the, the Ethiopian man, and the Holy Spirit just kind of whisks Philip away. I'm not quite sure how that happened, but he just whisked him away. However that was like. And then what comes next? The Ethiopian did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. When was the last time you were rejoicing because of your faith in Christ? The way we get to that point of rejoicing is we we realize that there's a reversal. that, That Jesus experienced what we have experienced so that he can reverse that. You were dead in your sin, now you are alive in Christ. You were without, without hope, and now you have hope. You were rejected, now you have been accepted and included in God's family. The joy comes when you realize that there is a reversal. What does all that have to do with evangelism? If you discover your story, you think about your story, you think about how Jesus knows your suffering and how there's a reversal, then you have a story to share. Then you have a story to share. One of the remarkable things about Acts chapter 8, didn't mention this earlier, is uh, how it, it shows God's determination that the gospel would be heard um, in all parts of the earth. Acts chapter 1, we preached on that last Sunday where Jesus tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and then even to the ends of the earth. Um, Well, Philip was in Samaria. That's how Acts chapter chapter 8 begins, the gospel moving up to Samaria. And guess what was known as the southernmost part of the ends of the earth in ancient days, in Jesus' day? It was Ethiopia. That was known as the southernmost ends of the earth. Who do you think went back to his homeland to share this gospel that was revealed to him by Philip? It was the Ethiopian eunuch taking that gospel now to the ends of the earth, and now sharing his story, his story about Jesus. And now you have a story that you can share about Jesus, how Jesus brought about that reversal in your life. You can be that witness. You can help bring the gospel to someone who needs it, who needs to know that God is so determined to meet them where they are, and they need to hear that from you. Let's pray. Almighty God, you are determined that your good news of Jesus will be heard in this earth, that those who are desperate and discouraged, those who are afraid and feeling abandoned, those who are feeling lost, that they would know that, um, that you are after them. You are going after them. You are going to rescue them. You are going to meet them right where they are. 
So Heavenly Father, help us to think about our own story and our own little bit of brokenness, our own discouragement, and how you have met us where we are. And you've done this beautiful reversal of giving us new life and taking away our fear and giving us hope. Help that to be in our heart so that we can share it with someone, even this week, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.